Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The Lord would allow other people to come into Israel, enslave them, and then after a while, they'd finally get it and they'd be like, and they'd cry out to God, like, oh God, I don't want to be in this place anymore. Come rescue me. And he's like, okay, I'll send somebody, a judge to rescue you. Then they get rescued and then they fall back into that same cycle of complacency. And it starts with compromise. The same thing that was in the book of Judges is being repeated here in the book of Hosea. God's like, look, I'm going to send some people and then you'll finally wake up and you'll want to be rescued by me. But it's a little too late. When is the best time to put on your seatbelt? Before the accident, right? What about the best time to open your parachute? If you said before you hit the ground, then you're correct. Well, Pastor James shares that the Israelites were constantly getting into accidents and hitting the ground, so to speak even after God reminded them that there was a danger ahead. So, unfortunately, they had many hard landings and head-on collisions that could have been avoided. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. It says, uh, don't join into this speaking to Judah. Don't join into the false worship at Gilgal or Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon is the main idol sanctuary of the northern kingdom. In fact, if you go to Israel and you, you venture up into that northern part of Israel um, in this beautiful area, I mean, it is, it, it is beautiful. I don't know what you think of when you hear Israel, but if you've never been, you like me, we think, oh, I, no, I've been there three times. But like in my brain, it always clicks in like desert. But if you go to the northern part of Israel, it's mountainous. And it's like there's these beautiful foresty kind of trees everywhere. It is amazing. And there's a river that flows down, and it's spectacular. But up there, even to this day, there still is um, ruins of um, this, like, pagan shrines that they had set up. Because here was their thinking. Why do we need to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship when we can set up our own throne and everything here, and it's just more convenient? And they didn't just set up a, a throne or, or anything to God. It was actually set up for like a false idol is what it was. And so there was a compromise within their, their uh, commitment to, to God, and they said, no, nah, that's just too inconvenient to go all the way down to Jerusalem to worship God. When we can just set something up here and worship him here, how we think he should be worshiped. There's your problem first and foremost. We went through the book of Leviticus. We don't get to worship God how we think we should worship God. We worship God how he said it because he's God, because he's God. And the northern tribes of Israel were like, meh. We'll kind of make up our own rules. And then here they are, religious prostitutes, <laughs> just, just going, just doing whatever they want to do, doing whatever they want to do. It says verse eight, uh, 16, Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. So should the Lord feed her like a lamb in a lush pasture? Leave Israel alone because she is married to idolatry. When the rulers of Israel finish their drinking, off they go to find some prostitutes. They love shame more than honor. So a mighty wind will sweep them away. Their sacrifices to idols will bring them shame. This is a prophecy 
that Hosea is delivering to the people of Israel uh, that God has given them saying like, look, the, the wind that's already on the move is, is this foreign nation that's going to come and take you as captives. That's the wind. Hosea is giving the people of Israel, the northern tribes more specifically, the heads up that, hey, because you've been living in this many years, 400 or so years of rebellion, God has ordained a, a, a foreign enemy to come down and to take you captive. He's going to take you from the land. All because, well, you said you were going to do what he said to do, and you haven't done that. And that even goes back to even the land. Like I said, we went through the book of Leviticus where the land is supposed to be given a Sabbath year's rest. Why? Because God cares about his land, and it should be given a break too. But they totally ignored that for 400 plus years. And so God's like, okay, then I'm going to move you out so that my land can have 70 years of rest because that's what it's due. And if that means I got to get you guys out of here, because you don't want to listen to me anyways. So I'll make you slaves. I'll make you captives, not in Egypt, but they're going to Babylon. I'm going to take you out of here because my land will get the rest that I, that I promised it, period. You don't want to do what I say? Okay, that's fine. Have it your way. But this means you're going to have a new address, a new mailing address for quite a while, right? So Hosea is letting the people know, like, it's not too late. You can stop. You can repent. But just like these verses that preceded that lets us know, they're stubborn. They're stiff-necked, right? They need to go to Rusty and have him crack their neck or something, right? They're like, they're stiff-necked. They're like, they are... They're just not going to move. They are not going to move. So God will move them. He will move them. Let's go through chapter 5 real fast. Hear this, you priests. Because again, this just all flows. Same scene, right? Talking to priests. Now we're going to talk to priests and royal leaders. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you leaders of Israel. Listen, you members of the royal family. Judgment has been handed down against you. For you have led the people into a snare by worshiping the idols at Mizpah and Tabor, right? So the leadership is failing the people. Bad leadership will always fail the people. The people will suffer because of bad leadership, period. That's, that's true back then, and that is true for us today. That is why you have to be, you have this beautiful right to vote. It's an amazing privilege that we have, and you should take hold of that and be very selective on who you vote for, Okay. You're like, what's, what's he going for? I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat. I'm going to tell you that right now, and I've said that many times before. I will go through every single candidate, and I will see what they represent. And a lot of them get canceled out because they don't, I don't agree with many of their stances. Okay? And that can be true for Republicans and Democrats. Okay? Just so you understand where I'm coming from. Uh, and, and many of them don't pass through the test that I have. They don't. But I'll still vote. I still vote because... This is, this is a great thing. We have, you know, brothers and sisters who live in other countries. They have no say at all. No say at all. So I will show up and I will vote. My phone reminded me today, hey, make sure you're registered. That's probably why this is fresh on my brain. But I am registered. And I also am reminded from Hosea chapter 5, bad leadership will always affect the people underneath it. Always. Verse 2, it says, you have dug a deep pit to trap them at Acacia Grove. But I will settle them uh, with you for what you have done. 
I know what you are like, O Ephraim. Ephraim, again, it's a reference to Israel. You cannot hide yourself from me, O Israel. You have left me as a prostitute leaves her husband. You are utterly defiled. Remember, Hosea married Gomer, Gomer, who was a prostitute. So we're still staying staying within that same imagery here. But God is saying like, look, I've been faithful to you. You've been unfaithful to me. You've left me as a prostitute leaves her husband and is utterly defiled. Your deeds won't let you return to your God. You're a prostitute through and through. You're unfaithful through and through. And you do not know the Lord. This is to his people. You don't know me. The arrogance of Israel testifies against her. Israel and Ephraim will stumble under their load of guilt. Judah, too, will fall with them. So there we go with Judah will have its own shortcomings as well. When they come with their flocks and herds to offer sacrifices to the Lord, they will not find him because he has withdrawn from them. They have betrayed the honor of the Lord, bearing children that are not his. Now their false religion will devour them along with their wealth. They've given themselves over to this thing. And and in, in essence, what he's saying is like they're making little converts to this false beliefs and these false uh, idols and all that good stuff. He says, but your, your false religion is, is going to chew you up. It's, it's going to devour you, and it's going to take everything that you have. And little side note on that, uh, you guys are familiar with cults, right? Have you, you known people that have maybe gone through, a, been a part of a cult? And it seems like what they like to do is rob people of, number one, their identity. They like to do that. And then they like to rob them of all their finances, too. If you do any kind of research on cults and stuff, you'll, you'll know that there's a lot of similarities there. Cults are all about, yeah, if we can get new converts in here, then we can separate you from your normal community, but then we can also tap into your bank account so that you are tithing to us what, what they deem is necessary. And they will rob people blind all the time. False religions will do that. They will do that. Sound the alarm, verse 8 in, in Gibeah. Blow the trumpet in Ramah or Ramah, raise the battle cry in Beth-Avon, lead on into battle, O warriors of Benjamin, the smallest of the tribes. One thing is certain, Israel, on your day of punishment, you will become a heap of rubble. This is, a, this is just God giving them the warning, like, hey, judgment's coming. The leaders of Judah have become like thieves, so I will pour out my anger on them like a waterfall. The people of Israel will be crushed and broken by my judgment because they are determined to worship idols. Again, that's that note, that, that term there that gets, continues to be put into there. They are, they are determined. They're determined to worship idols. They refuse to know me. I mean, you can understand this, get a feel for this language here. I will destroy Israel as a moth consumes wool. I will make Judah as weak as rotted wood. And in one sense, what he's saying there is they will, they will just, deconstruction will happen because of like um, rot and decay. And the little things that come in and start to consume them. Little compromises. When Israel and Judah saw how sick they, they were, Israel turned to Assyria, to the great king there. But he can neither help nor cure them. I will be like a lion to Israel, a strong young lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces. I will carry them off and no one will be left to rescue them. Then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. So that's five. That's God framing out this thing of like, look, punishment's going to come. And if you've read the book of Judges, you understand the cycle where 
the Lord would allow other people to come into Israel, enslave them, and then after a while, they'd finally get it, and they'd be like, and they'd cry out to God, like, oh, God, I don't want to be in this place anymore. Come rescue me. And he's like, okay, I'll send somebody, a judge, to rescue you. Then they get rescued, and then they fall back into that same cycle of complacency. And it starts with compromise. The same thing that was in the book of Judges is being repeated here in the book of Hosea. God's like, look, I'm going to send some people, and then you'll finally wake up, and you'll want to be rescued by me. But it's a little too late. It's a little too late. Now, there can be repentance and all that good stuff. What we know about when Babylon came through, there was a faithful remnant that stayed back in Israel. Not everybody was taken. Not everybody was taken. There was a faithful remnant that, that did stay. There were also some faithful believers that got taken away. Not necessarily because of their sin. I'm thinking of like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or you may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're Babylonian names, right? They were faithful to God, but they were swept away because they were some of the best and the brightest. There's a chance to repent and all that good stuff, but for the majority of these rebellious people who want nothing to do with God, God's like, okay, okay, well, I'm going to have to step in and do this thing. And then I'm just going to go right through chapter six because there's such a sweet little verse in this little, this chapter that I want us to finish out on. Verse six, come. Okay, here you go. Uh, this is Israel speaking to God, kind of, right? Like this is a, uh, uh, kind of like uh, what God is letting them know, this is how you'll respond to me. And this sounds like repentance. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. We just saw that. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence Oh, that we may know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or of dawn or the coming rains in early spring. That sounds like repentance, right? But it's not. It's phony repentance. This is that scene like, you, you, you know what it's like when you got busted by your parents for doing something you shouldn't have been doing. And you're like, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? But you've given, given the opportunity, you're going to do that same thing again, aren't you? Yeah. See, that's not repentance. That's not repentance. That's remorse. You felt sorry for getting busted. Repentance is, I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And you turn away from that. You're like, I'm not stealing cookies out of the cookie jar anymore. Does anybody own cookie jars anymore? Um, but you're like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Here within this little phrase... They are saying, let us return to the Lord. Sounds like repentance. He's torn us into pieces. He's going to heal us. No, what you, what you need is not healing. What you need is cleansing. What you need is cleansing. Because you have turned your back on God. You're sinning against God. And now you're just, because he, he, he just said, I'm going, to, I'm going to be like a lion to you. I'm going to tear you to pieces and all that good stuff. And they're like, okay, look, if we just turn back to him, he'll heal us. He'll put us back together. We can, this thing will smooth over and we'll be good. He'll be happy with us. We'll be happy with him. And let's just, let's just let bygones be bygones and let's move on and forgive and forget and all that good stuff, right? Nowhere within this little three verses do they ever admit any sins. They don't. Repentance is where you own stuff. True repentance is where you go to God and you say, Lord, um, I'm sorry for this. 
and you name it, and you act it, you, you, you get it out, so that way you can get it out into the open, and so that you can, there's no going, going back from it. It's like, and even write it down in your Bible, or write it down in a repentance or prayer journal or something like that, but like, Lord, I am, I am sorry for this. And you be specific with it. There's, no, there's nothing in here. All they want is healing. They don't want cleansing. And I look, I'm all for healing, but why did you get damaged? It was because of your sins that you're in the state you're in. So repent of your sins. He's more than willing to forgive them. He's more than willing to put them back together. He's more than willing to heal them. But if they think that the healing is their biggest need, then they've missed the point completely. They need forgiveness. They need cleansing. And they, you can even see within their, their language there, in just a short time, if we do this, then he'll, he'll do this really quick, quickly for us. Now, there is some thought here. I, I need to address this in verse 2. Um, it, New Living Translation does a horrible job of this, uh, I think. Great translation, by the way. It's a fantastic translation. But I wrote down in my Bible from the New King James, verse 2. It says, after two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. That's how New King James phrases that. And I like that better. Because within that, you kind of have some foreshadowing of Christ and his resurrection. Or you could also have the last three, quote unquote, days in the tribulation time where Israel is restored, so to speak. Okay, so there's some foreshadowing here, uh, prophetically, that's going on, okay? New Living Translation, I don't know why they phrased it out that way, but they kind of robbed you, if you have one, of the, the, the third day kind of reference there. But anyways, uh, so if it is a foreshadowing, it's, I, I think it seems, it seems to be more of a foreshadowing of the, the resurrection of Christ, but it could also be a reference to Israel in the last days. Um, the point of it is this within the context, they just want a quick fix. They just want a quick fix. God, just, just fix this and fix it now. Just fix it and fix it now. Well, you don't learn from that. I, I've never learned from that. I've never learned from that, right? And I've asked God that many times in 20 years of walking with him, God, just fix this right now. And he's like, man, I could do that. But you'll never learn from that. And what he wants is for us to grow stronger in our relationship with him, Okay. It's, it's that same thing. You see it all the time with like infomercials and all that good stuff. Like, hey, if you just like buy this exercise equipment, you will get jacked immediately, right? And you're like, no, nah, that's not true. If you've ever exercised, you know, like that's not true. If you just take this pill, I mean, you're, it's all going to just shred right off of you. And, and you're like, that's not true. That's not true. Because what? Because results take time. Time. And this relationship that we have with the Lord, too. And look, I want quick fixes all the time. But I think even more than that, I want to grow in my relationship with him. And I want to be spiritually mature, which means sometimes you just got to, you got to walk through stuff. So that, that little phrase there, again, it's just like, it looks like repentance, but it's really not those first three verses. Verse four, through the rest of this, uh, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? Ask the Lord. For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like the dew in the sunlight, right? So they, their, their love for him and their devotion to God is just, uh, it, it just, it dissipates 
When he shows up, they lose interest. Because the sun rises. He's like, it's, you know, your love vanishes like the morning mist, you know, in the, or like the dew and the sunlight. He's like, I'll show up, but then your interest in me dissipates. I'll show up, but then you flee. God, come fix my problem. Okay, here I am. Okay, thanks, God. I'll see you. I'll see you down the road. I'll see you down the road, right? And that's usually how that dynamic works. And, and he's like, what, what do I do with you, Israel? It's like, I sent my prophets to cut you to pieces, to slaughter you with my words, right? Not literally, but like his word is living and active, sharp as a two-edged sword, right? It pierces through the bones and the marrow, straight to the heart, is what Hebrews tells us. It's like, I sent my prophets to teach you the word. He says, but judgment's as inescapable as light. He says, I want to show you love. I want, I'm sorry, I want you to show love, not to offer sacrifices, or mercy. What do I desire? What do you desire from me, God, to show mercy? To show mercy. I want, I want you to show love. This word mercy, which New Living, Translate, New Living Translation says love, it, it's this loyal love is technically what he's talking about there. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. I don't want the sacrifices. I don't want the burnt offerings. I want mercy, and I want you to know me. That's what I want. That's all that God's asking of you. That's what he's asking of us. He says, that's all I've asked. And you can read 1 Samuel 15. You can read Amos chapter 5. You can read Micah chapter 6. And you can read Matthew chapter 19 and Matthew chapter 12. And this same thing is stated again in all of those references. And I can give you the specific ones if you want. What is, God, what do you want? To, to, to love, to act merciful. To, I don't want the stuff. I don't need the. I don't need the. You know the practices and all that good stuff. What I want is I want loyalty. I want loyalty. Is what he wants. I want you to know me. I want you to grow in your relationship with me. Verse seven. But like Adam, that's Adam from the garden. Adam and Eve, you broke my covenant and betrayed my trust. Gilead is a city of sinners, tracked with footprints of blood. Priests form bands of robbers waiting in ambush for their victims. Priests form gangs to rob people. That's like messed up. Like, no, that, the priests should be the ones you trust. They murder travelers along the road to Shechem, and they practice every kind of sin. Yes, I have seen something horrible in Ephraim and Israel. My people are defiled by prostituting themselves with other gods. O Judah, a harvest of punishment is also waiting for you, though I wanted to restore the fortunes of my people. And that's where we'll end. But So if you can see it through the four, five, and six, the, it's the courtroom scenario, and God's like, here's my charges against you. You've been unfaithful to me. And here's what's going to happen. Here's the, you got the, the cause and the effect. And then the people would respond with like, no, 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 we're sorry. We're sorry. Don't, please, don't, don't do that. Heal us, Lord, please heal us. We'll never do it again. How many times have you heard that? I'll never do it again. And then what happens? They do it again. How many times has God heard that from me? God, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And then we're having the same conversation over and over again. What he wants from us is realness. What he wants from us is Loyalty to him and to him alone. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the road.
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken.